There we go. My bad. Forgot to turn on the mic. <laughs> Everybody's like, what the heck's your problem? Um, anyways, starting verse 9. What, what does he ascended except, or mean except that he also descended into the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who has ascended higher than all the heavens. In reality, what we just saying is an echoing of that, that he is the name above all names, that everything is above him or under him, and he is above all things. In verse 11, it was he who gave some to be apostles some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for what? For works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach the unity or unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Let's pray and then you can have a seat. Father, we thank you uh, today for your word. We thank you for the fact that you are above all things. And God, you sent your son, Jesus. He created everything. All, thing is held to, or all things are held together by him and through him, that, that everything that exists is, exists in his good word. And so God, we thank you for that. We thank you for the fact that we celebrate the name above all names. We lift your name higher because we know that without you, we have no hope. We have no peace, no comfort, no salvation. God, today I pray that we would understand what it means to be built up, to be encouraged, to be strengthened, and to serve using the gifts that you've given us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You can have a seat. If you can follow along as we go through this. Last week, we looked at the importance of unity in the church and how disunity and conflict will destroy the greatest of churches. Heck, it destroys nations. It destroys teams. It destroys families. Anytime there's disunity, there's issues. The beautiful thing about what we jump into today is to see how really, as each one of us discover our gifts, as each one of us are led to use the gifts that God has given us, there is also a strengthening of, of unity within the body because the body needs every part. When we're missing a part, when we're missing a ligament, a finger, an eyeball, a mouth, a tongue, uh, an ear, feet, and everything else like that, we end up missing out on the, the benefits that that part accomplishes. As a matter of fact, I want you to think about this. If you were to go home today and try and cook anything, and I told you, look, you can't use your right arm the rest of the day. Like, let's just say maybe your spouse took your arm, tied it behind your back. How well would you do things? What's that? Awkwardly, right? Like, I mean, the reality is, if you, especially if you're right-handed, if you're left-handed, you're like, well, it wouldn't be that big a deal. I could still do everything. If I had to write left-handed, you guys would be like, dude, what's, what's up with the four-year-old chicken scratch? I mean, there, there would be a lot of things that I just wouldn't be able to do as easy or as simple. And, and the reality is that my body would suffer. My, my, my family would suffer because I wouldn't be able to take care of things the way I normally do. And the reality is this, that when the body misses out on one person, one individual, one part, all right, the body suffers. And we also suffer a disunity aspect. Because the reality is, usually in churches, in the body of Christ, that when there is somebody who doesn't carry their weight, somebody else tries to do that part for them. The problem is we end up missing out on the benefits and blessings. All right? Listen, I understand that life is busy. 
A matter of fact, I understand that kids take time. I understand all the extracurricular activities we got going on in our lives. Work demands more hours. When we come to church, it oftentimes feels like it's the perfect time to sit down, relax, and not worry about a thing. But what I want you to see today is as we jump into this, that the problem is that our resting is really going to be a stifling aspect that takes place in our own lives. When we rest in the church and we work at everything else, then we miss out on the blessings that God has for you as an individual and for the church as a whole, as a body. And so today as we jump into this, I want you to think about how God can use this because there's some great truths here that we have to begin to understand. See, I believe this, that using our diversity in the gifts leads us to be united into maturity as a body of Christ. When I use the diversity of, of the gifts within the body, it leads us to an, a maturity or it leads us to unity that leads to maturity within the body. As a matter of fact, the reason why most churches tend to lean toward what we'll call immaturity is because the amount of people who have neglected to use their gifts within the body. I, I hope that makes sense. Most churches suffer from what we'll call childlike actions, not childlike faith, childlike actions. And the reality is this, that most churches are carried by a small percentage of people. And as a result of that, the body suffers because there's a lot of disunity that takes place within that. When we don't use our gifts, talents, abilities. And listen, I know you guys have fought through the the snow and the ice to get here, but I want us to look at what it means, remember, to be a healthy church. These are vital signs for healthy churches. We have to do a diagnosis, just like a doctor diagnoses us when he goes in and he takes the vital signs to determine, first of all, if you're alive, all right? Once they realize you're alive, then they'll check other things to make sure that you're healthy. You may be alive, but have an unhealthy heart rate, which leads to a problem. You may be alive, but you may suffer from inactivity, which leads to a health problem. Anybody ever been gone, and you don't have to answer this question, gone into the doctor and the doctor's like, dude, you got to work out more. You, you got to do something physical, whether it's walking, whether it's getting up and going and riding a bike or just going shopping and walk around, push the car. I don't know what it is. Maybe the doctor said, hey, you need to go to the mall and walk. Every day, our neighbor, I notice he gets out and I'm like, hey, where do you go? He had heart surgery, open heart surgery uh, before we moved here about seven years ago. And every day he walks in the morning And at night, he goes over to the mall and he walks because it's indoors, it's warm, and he can get all kinds of miles in and he does that. But I want you to think about that. If the doctor had told you, you need to become more active for your own health, would you do it? Because that's really what we got to see. So we've looked at these things. Number one, we said the vital sign is, first one, if we want to be healthy, there's a desire for God and his word. That was number one. Number two, there's an urgency to get people to Jesus. We understand the urgency to get people to Jesus. If we understand that, then we're healthy. If we don't understand it, then we're unhealthy. Number three, there's a craving to contribute to the body of the church. Number four, there's a persistence to guard the unity of the church. Those are things we want to work for, to guard the unity theologically, but to guard the unity by watching my tongue. And then number five today, we're going to say is this. If you remember anything, I want you to remember this, that a healthy church prepares its members for works of service to build up the body. 
A healthy church prepares its members for works of service. As a matter of fact, we're going to jump into the main point that I want you to see. And a lot of times people get really offended at this, but this is the reality. Did you know that it is not the job of the pastors and the teachers to do the ministry? Everybody always says, oh, that's the pastor's job. No, 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 negative. As a matter of fact, we're going to jump in and we're going to look at that, and I'm going to kind of create some tension here because a lot of people are going, well, then what do we pay you for? Well, you don't right now. That's correct. But there's the aspect that most churches would deal with. Well, what do we pay the pastor for? If he's not going to do the ministry, then we got to find another another guy to do it, all right? We're going to jump in and we're going to find that out. But I want to ask this question. How then is the church built up? How are we strength and courage? Hey, I got, you guys do some push-ups? Come on. I need the boys up here. Let's go. Matter of fact, girls, you can come up if you want to. No, you got to dress on. Can't come up. All right, Ethan, Enzo, let's go. I know you guys can't do it. Who else wants to do some push-ups? Come on, Jax, Judson, Josh. Let's go. Don't, don't wimp out, all right? I want you guys all right here face, facing me. How do you do a proper push-up? Huh? Back straight. Do what? Arm, shoulder width apart. Okay, we can do that. It just depends on what part of the muscles you're going to learn. All right? All right? There's a way to do this. There's a way to understand what's going on. If I told you to go down, go ahead and give me a push-up. Let me see you. Let's go. Down a push-up position. We're going to go boot camp style. All right? Do a push-up. Go down. Oh, Ethan, Ethan's kind of doing one. All right, you just have to do one, then stand up. All right. Okay, so there's a number of things to remember when I'm doing a push-up. All right? In order to do a push-up, I got to do it right. So let me ask you this question. Is this a push-up? No, no. Are you sure? No. How, how about that? No, no. How about this? No. That's a girl push-up, by the way. We're just kind of lay that out there. All right. Okay. So a proper push-up is, I'm going to show you how to do a push-up so that you can get stronger, right? Okay. So we said arms, shoulder width apart. You can go wider if you want to work your chest out more, you know, I'm a physical, you know, personal trainer. All right. So arm, shoulder width apart. So join me. Come on right here. Push-up position. We're going to go boot camp style. That's what you say. Push-up position. Don't go so wide. You don't have to go so wide there. All right. You ready? We're going to go down. Now I want your chest to almost touch the floor. All right. Just like this. Now look at me. Head up. Look at me. Hold it right there. Hold it. Now push up. There you go. Now down again. Now push up again. Down again. We'll push up again. Okay. Hold yourself. You guys are good. All right. Go ahead and have a seat. There you go. Hey, there's a, yeah. (laughs) There's a reason why we want to do something in a proper way. In order to do something in a proper way, the point is that I got to show somebody how to do it. I'm going to teach them how to do it. First of all, show them how to do it. And then they can go and what? And whether that's working out, whether that's shoveling, whether that's cleaning dishes, the reality is this, that in order for the family to contribute or to to be unified around it, we have to understand what goes on and what our responsibility is. So how is the church built up? The church is built up when the people of the church, the leaders of the church do their job in preparing God's people for works of service. See, I prepared them to do the push-ups. I can't do push-ups for them, can I? I told them how they could do a push-up properly, but I can't do the push-up for them. If I said, Jax, I want you to do push-ups, and then I laid them out, that's not benefiting Jax at all, is it? Or Josh or anybody, is it? It's, it's not benefiting them. It's only benefiting me. 
because I'm the one who's doing it. So how do we build up the church? Number one is this. The church is built up by Jesus' grace. Listen again what he says. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Where do we receive grace from? From Jesus. Jesus is the one who gives us the grace. So Paul's reference here is in reality, he's referencing something that takes place in Psalm chapter 68. And in Psalm 68, verse 18, there's this idea that we're receiving gifts, that God has chosen individuals from among the people, that then there was a purpose, and that purpose is he's given them back. So it says that each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. And God shows his grace by giving us people in our lives who who speak truth into our lives, who speak hope into our lives, who speak salvation into us, who teach us. And so God is showing that in the midst of what's going on, we need to be unified in one faith and one baptism that we talked about last week by guarding our tongues. But we got to be unified in this, that God gives us people to look over us, to watch out for us, to strengthen us so that we can move forward and be unified around what he's called us to do. And so listen, the church is built up by Jesus' grace. See, God takes people. He gifts them and he gives them back to the people in order to build up the body. So God has called out people, some of them apostles, prophets, evangelists, teachers, pastors, so that they can build up the body. But that is a pouring out of God's grace. When God gives us the people to lead us, then we follow that leadership as long as they're staying on the biblically correct path. We follow that leadership. Why? Because that is God pouring out his grace upon us so that we can follow him. Matter of fact, the idea would be this. Do you have a mentor or a person who maybe was like a spiritual father who spoke truth into your life, who showed you what it meant to grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ, who showed you how to have a quiet time, how to pray, how to learn to serve within the body, because here is where we're starting to go, all right? The honestly, I'm gonna gonna just kind of lay this out, has probably been neglected for the last three years, four years, all right? But this is the point. If we want to multiply churches, if we want to see churches planted and replanted, we have to multiply disciples. And in order to multiply disciples, we've got to focus on a number of things. And here is this. We have to understand that the church is built by God's grace. Christ sets us out to accomplish the goal of filling all things by supplying his people with everything necessary to grow the church in maturity and in numbers. Keep this in mind. Christ sets out to accomplish the goal of filling all things. That's what he's jumping into. If you look in in verse eight, this is why he says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean? Except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. There's some tough teaching here. But a very simple way to understand this is that Jesus existed before time began with the Father, with the Spirit. Jesus descended something called the incarnation, born to the Virgin Mary, 
lives a life, dies. Now there's argument here, did he go to hell or was he buried in the grave? We don't really know necessarily from this section or text, but what we understand is that Jesus descended to suffer the very things that we would have to suffer as a result of sin. And then as a result, his resurrection, he ascends back to the Father. And so what we see is that in the midst of all that, we see God's grace poured out. And in that, he gives us people He gives people in leadership positions a point to say, hey, you now need to lead my people towards unity, towards maturity. And so what we understand is that God's grace, the grace of Jesus is what builds the church first. As a matter of fact, I want to just kind of lay this out. So this next slide's popping up. It's going to be coming up in two weeks. For those of you who've never done it, aren't a member of the church, you can go through the tour starting March 3rd. It's, and I say starting, it's only that day. We'll serve you lunch on March 3rd. Uh, we'll go through. It's about an hour, hour and a half long. Uh, we lay out our membership idea, what our goal is as a church, what we're expecting of you. And I know this comes across weird or different. For those of you who joined the church before we had our new members class, all of these vital signs are the covenant membership things that we ask every member to be a part of. Every member is asked to be a part of this. Every member is asked to grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ, to grow in your relationship with others through fellowship and through discipleship. That's why we ask everybody to commit. Commit that you are growing in. Look, you can only take kids or teenagers or other adults so far as you're willing to go. If you're not growing in your relationship, whether in in a Bible study, discipleship class on Sunday morning, or a life group on Sunday night, you're missing out. So we ask people to, to commit to that to grow in a life group or to grow in a Bible study. We ask people to, to be generous and use their, their, their gifts and acts of service, which is really where we're at today. So there are these signs, these things that play out, and that's why we want to be a part of communicating this through the tour. So if you are interested in signing up for the tour, then I just encourage you on the blue card, fill it out or tell me after church and we'll get you signed up. We're ready to go. We want to communicate what we're about. So how is the church built up? The church is built up by Jesus Christ, number one. Number two is this. The church is built up by leaders to prepare it for service. Now, I know this is a tough thing to look at, but when you jump to verse 11 and 12, which is the heart of where we're gonna be at today, you begin to see something different. Let's, let's, let's read this again one more time. It was he who gave some to be what? Apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and then the last thing, some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Here's the reality of what we begin to see in scripture. If God gave us these gifts of men to lead out in these certain things, what is the expectation or what is the role that they're gonna play? These leaders then have to prepare people, the people of the church for works of service. See, Jesus' dominion over all the powers of all of, of, of all of time, of all of creation, Jesus' dominion over all the powers, he now also distributes gifts to who? To these men. As a matter of fact, you'll see things like this now. You'll see something that'll say, apostles such and such preaching on... The reality is what we see from scripture is that the apostles and prophets is gone. It's stopped. 
After Jesus left, after the apostles and the prophets were there, they were gone. Now, you may have a gift of prophecy, or you may act like an apostle. In other words, you're a person who starts ministries and things like that. But the, 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 the necessary calling or gifting of being an apostle is no longer there. You can't call yourself a prophet because all of prophecy has already been fulfilled other than the revelation stuff. So you can't come out and be like, well, I got a new word from the Lord because there is no new word according to scripture. Anyone who adds, if you read Revelation, anyone who adds to this word is going to have a problem. It's just a summation. So apostles and prophets no longer exist. Now, there's going to be a lot of people. I've had an, even a number of discussions and, and, and disagreements with pastors on this. But from a scriptural standpoint, we no longer see apostles and prophets. And I want to give you an idea of what happened. See, the building of the body is linked with God's intention of filling the universe with his role. So he wants to build up, or his rule, sorry. All right, he wants to build up the church so that the church proclaims or lights up or shines a light or maybe just displays the light, I should say more clearly, displays the light of Jesus Christ. So his idea is to display that. And so while we can look at like 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we can read Romans, we could talk about 1 Peter chapter 4 and all these different gifts, I want you to begin to see that the gifts he's talking about here are people. And he's given the church these people so that they can build the church up. Throughout history, God has chosen special men as leaders of the community of believers. And so the first one we looked at is an apostle. An apostle is one sent with the authoritative delegation. They carried the gospel message with God's authority. That stopped. Matter of fact, Paul and them are pretty much the last. If you looked at Paul and Barnabas and some of those guys, they're the end. They're the end of apostleship. You may carry the idea of an apostle. You may have the, 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 the personality to a certain extent, but the apostleship has ended. You know, you don't walk in the church and go, hey, that's the apostle Brian. That's the prophet Brian. No, that's, that's over. Okay? So apostleship has stopped. Why? Because it's, it was the first first century message, prophets, the New Testament prophets were gifts to the church, listen, to provide edification, exhortation, and comfort, but they also provided correction. They proclaimed new things. As a matter of fact, the Old Testament prophets would come out and proclaim the new coming, the new, the, the, sorry, the, the, um, going blank, my brain went dead, um, but the new covenant they were going to proclaim the new covenant, but at the same time calling God's people to repentance. So prophecy, as far as that goes, has ended because we can't add to the words. God's not given pastors new visions and new dreams. As a matter of fact, I'll throw up that first thing. If you go and you listen to a pastor, he's like, the Lord gave me a new vision of what we're supposed to do. They're adding something to that, to something that is already complete, already made final, already good. God says, I don't need you to add anything else. This is the way it is. So when you hear somebody say, well, the Lord gave me a new thing to tell you. Well, hold on a second here. Are you sticking to something new that you found out of God's word? Or are you saying that I'm adding something to it? So the, the gift of prophets has ended, all right? But now we get to the point where we see today. We have evangelists, we have pastors, and we have teachers. What is an evangelist? 
Matter of fact, if you were to use the word, an evangelist is just simply somebody who tells other people about the good news of the gospel. They proclaim the gospel. And so we would say that may be somebody like a missionary. It could be what we used to call evangelists that would come in and lead revivals and they would go church to church to church and preaching the gospel and they would go out and try and share the gospel on the street corners or maybe it was going house to house and things like that. But I want you to see the big picture of what takes place here. The church is built up by leaders to prepare it for service. So when he says, listen, I gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and others to be pastors and teachers, then what we begin to see is that God has very specific roles for these guys and what they're supposed to do. So pastors and teachers are leading the people by comforting and guiding them and at the same time instructing them in God's ways. The role of the pastor, the role of teachers, whether Sunday school, life group leader, small group teacher, or anything else like that, is to provide comfort, to provide encouragement, but to provide training. And so here is the big thing. In order to build up the body, you have to be trained. And the beauty of this text is this. Most people approach church and think that it's the pastor's job, it's the teacher's job, when the pastor's and the teacher's job is to what? You can cheat. Prepare God's people for what? Works of service. That's the role. The beauty of this is this, that when the pastors and teachers prepare God's people for works of service, the body of Christ is built up. Why? Because it's not based upon one person, one individual, or even a group of people. It's carried out by the body. The ministry of the church is carried out by the body. And so what we begin to see is the good news of the gospel spreads. Why? Because gifted people are to minister the word to others so they are readied to get involved in ministry to others. So the question is this, do you put yourself under the teaching and leadership of other people? Now, while Sunday morning is okay and it's good, I'm going to ask you this, are you prepared, are you being prepared to do works of service? Are you preparing to do works of service? See, the reason the gospel spreads outside what we'll call the four walls of the church is not because the pastor or the teachers live contagious lives. The reason the gospel spreads outside the four walls of a church building is because those who have come in on Sunday morning have been prepared to take the gospel out. Not to hold it in. Not for the pastor to do all the ministry. This is what I love about how we've kind of set up our deacon ministry and what's going to be going on now. Because the deacons are going to rise into the role that they've been called to do, to serve. And as a result of that, when the deacons serve, other people are served as well. It's not all falling on the pastor. It falls to the deacons and the leaders, the shepherds, the the teachers within, so that the body of Christ is built up for unity. But also as a result, listen, when somebody becomes a new believer, it's not the pastor's job only to prepare that person for works of service. Guess who else's job it is? Teachers. That's why James says, look, it's a high calling to want to be a teacher. You're going to be held to a greater standard because you're to prepare God's people for works of service. 
It's, it's really like this. January 1st, lots of people love to go and join these workout places, right? It's like, I'm going to commit to that. I'm going to get in shape. I'm going to lift weights or I'm going to run. I'm going to do all these things. So they spend this money. They go in, they sign a 12-year contract, or I mean, a, sorry, 12-month contract, all right? They get this thing set up. They're going to do these great things. They really want to do it. They, but the first thing that they always are done, or, or what, what most of these places will do, is to hook you up with a personal trainer. What's the job of the personal trainer? To train him. Hey, what are you work, looking for? Well, I don't really need to lose much weight, but I need to bulk up. Well, we got to approach it differently if you need to bulk up and you're wanting to add mass. Somebody else may be in the opposite corner. They may say, look, I don't need any more mass. I got to lose some weight and get in shape. Well, now the personal trainer is going to adjust and say, well, this is what we got to do. This is the direction we got to go. Why? Because you want to be in the best shape of your life so you can move forward with what God wants you to do. In the same way, your job when you become a member of the church is to get with the trainer so that the trainer can identify what you need to work on so that you can do works of service so that you can be actively growing and participating in being physically healthy, spiritually healthy. You see the picture that takes place here? See, the truth of the matter is the church in reality should function almost like the military does in what takes place when you're preparing for battle. Matter of fact, a lot of people I don't think realize, but when you're in the Navy, there are things like this. When you're preparing to go overseas, you go through all kinds of tests. There are these, what we call, I don't even remember the name of this one, but it was Comp 2X. There was these competition type things. We worked with other different groups. Then we had what we called JTFX, which was Joint Task Force Exercises, where it would take Navy, Army, Air Force, Marines. We would battle against another group of Navy, Army, Air Force, Marines. And during that time, we had people who would evaluate us. And in that evaluation process, they would see if we were prepared to go to battle or if we needed more training and where we needed more training at. The reality is that that's the way the church should work, is that we come in because we've been, to a certain extent, wrung out or beat down. We've been in battle all week, and now we come in being trained to go back out and go into spiritual warfare battle, not against flesh and blood, but against what? The principalities and the rulers of the air that battle against us, to battle against Satan on the front lines. The church is built up by leaders and prepared for service. That's what we have to begin to understand. The church is built up by leaders to prepare it for service. Are you adequately prepared? And listen, this is what it says again here. The whole point of this, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. So that the body of Christ can be in the best shape it's ever been before. When God's leaders prepare God's people for works of service, the body of Christ is built up. As a result of the body of Christ being built up, more and more people come to Christ. More and more people use their gifts of, of, of in service to the Lord and in service to the church. And as a result, 
we grow in unity. Listen to again what he says now, and this is the third focus I want to focus on, and we'll wrap up with this, but I want you to see this. Number three, how is the church built up? The church is built up in unity as each part contributes. Listen to verse 13. Until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. How is the church built up? The church is built up in unity as each part contribute. See, when the leaders lead the people to be a part of it, to, to prepare them for service, and the people put their actions into service or put their faith into service, then the body of Christ is built up. There's a unification process. As a matter of fact, we can kind of compare it like this. When you serve together, you grow stronger together. When we have served together, whether it's iHeart Independence or our, our, our breakfast ministry, our Three Trails Breakfast Club, or whatever else it is, when you serve together, you grow closer together, you grow stronger together, and as a result, the body is built up. It's important for us to understand that we all contribute to this. Whether it's a pinky, a nose, an ear, or maybe you're the butt, I don't know. I'll just leave that there. I don't know, but every part matters. Every part contributes to the body. And the church is built up in unity as each part contributes. Listen to the beauty of what he lays out here, all right? It says, we'll all, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. So here's the aspect I want you to see. When God's people prepare God's people for works of service and God's people put into action works of service, there's a unification that takes place, but there's also a maturity that takes place because it says that when we grow in our relationship and live that out, in other words, put our faith into actions, there's a maturity that takes place in the body of Christ. And last I checked, everybody wants to be mature. Sometimes, right? Like there's times where I like to just kind of be, I'll just say an idiot. My wife will tell people things like this. Well, I got four kids. My, son, my, my husband's the oldest one. Uh, but the reality is this. We all want to mature. We all want to grow. And in order to mature and in order to grow, we have to understand that it means that I grow in my relationship by letting people pour into me. I grow my relationship by being prepared for works of service. And then I put into action the works of service that I'm called to do. And listen to what happens in verse 14. Then we'll no longer be infants. So as we're maturing, as we're attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, in other words, we're growing to become more Christ-like, then it says this, we'll no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Here's the truth. As you grow in your relationship with Christ, as you're poured into by pastors and teachers, you grow to understand and know the, the, the grace of God. You grow to understand and know God's Bible or God's word more. But also, guess, guess what? Because we're maturing, we're not misled by all kinds of crazy, crazy teachings. Matter of fact, I had a gentleman the other day who has been coming here for a while, there's, there's some issues going on, but he's like, hey, the Mormons stopped by the other day and I'm letting them come back to talk to me. And I'm like, bro, you're going down the wrong road. Don't let them come back. 
Because they'll twist and turn and misuse every single thing that you think you know because they have studied stuff in a different way. They've been mistaught. And what I want you to understand is this, that when we're weak, when we're infants, when we're not mature, we oftentimes run to crazy thinking. And I'll even say it this way, that our crazy thinking comes out in the church. I had a lady not too long after I got here come up to me one Wednesday night. She said, do you realize you're asking me to do what for 60 years I was told not to do? And I looked at her like, well, I have no clue what you're talking about. And she goes, you want me to build relationships with lost people and know my neighbors? And I was like, you were taught for 60 years not to care about lost people and not to reach out to your neighbors who don't know Jesus? She's like, yeah, they, you know, we isolate and separate out from these people. And that's like, that's an infancy teaching. That when the church approaches life in that way, we begin to miss out and misunderstand what God had in the first place. Be in the world, not of the world, does not mean to be outside the world and not interact with the world. If you isolate yourself from non-believers, you will begin to realize that you cannot communicate with them. You don't know how to communicate with them. So I strengthen my relationship with Christ on my daily basis in my own life. I am poured into by those who are teachers and pastors so that I can be prepared for works of service. And listen, as I do that, as we grow in maturity, as we grow into the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, then I'm not going to be misled by crazy off the wall teachings that says I have to withdraw myself from everything in society. Instead, in verse 15, speaking in the truth in love we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. Why? Because from him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. When you work out, you strengthen your part in the body. Matter of fact, when I was working out a lot, which I don't do anymore at all, and my wife will tell you that, all right? But when I was working out a lot, I thought, man, I'm pretty strong. And then I started hanging out with a couple guys who got into rock climbing. Anybody been around some of these rock climbers, they were doing crazy stuff I'd never done. So I might've been able to bench press weights. I could have squatted all kinds of weights. But when they would get on like a door sill and they would start doing pull-ups with like two fingers, I'm like, what the, how... And I get up and I'm like, I can't even lift myself off of the ground. I'm standing there like, my fingers weren't strong enough. I had never developed. I mean, you think about it, you're like, well, you can't develop it. No, these guys had gotten good enough. They could do two finger, three finger, four finger, just pull-ups because they would get used to just getting into crevices on rocks and doing everything they could. I couldn't do it. I'm like, I can bench this much weight, but I can't pick myself up off the ground and it's a lot less than what I'm benching. When each part of the body, whether a finger or a toe, works itself out and strengthens itself, the whole body is built into maturity, listen, as each part does its work. And so here's the truth. In order to be a church that is healthy, 
in order to be a church that is recognizing or responding to the vital signs with which God has called us to be is that we have to be a church where every member contributes to the body. Using your gifts, your talents, your passions, your abilities, your experiences. See, the truth of the matter is this. Not everybody relates to the pastor. Not everybody relates with the guy who stands up on stage. Not everybody relates with the teacher. But all of us in the body relate with people. We have relationships with them where we can speak the truth in love, where we can build each other out, where we can put into action our faith that we claim to believe. And as a result of that, the body is built up into maturity and the body begins to experience the greatness of God working. Why? Because God wants to work in and through you. The simple lie that I think so many have believed within church is this that it's all based upon one character that stands up on the stage and can speak. I gave you the statistic a couple weeks ago, and it was one that I just recently read in an article, but if 86% of people come to Christ away from the church, 86%, less than 6% of believe people ever claim to come to Christ as a result of coming on a Sunday morning and hearing the preacher preach. Less than 6%. If that's the case, that should speak volumes about the problem we've created when we elevate a person and say, this person leads everybody to Christ and nobody else does. It's the church's role as a body to work together, to lead people to Christ. And listen, I'm going to take this on. We've already started talking. We're putting our leadership team stuff together. But this is one of my 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 pet peeves, if you want to call it, one of my goals this year is that we're going to spend more time investing and preparing you for works of service. And so teachers, if you're teaching, I want you to know the bar is being raised. The expectation is that you're not going to carry the weight of everything, but you're going to prepare people for works of service. Life group leaders, you're going to prepare people for works of service. If you're meeting in one of those and you're not preparing people for works of service, then get with me. We're going to talk through that because we have to prepare each other for works of service. And our goal is through that, that the mission of the church is expanded. The reach of the church is expanded. And as a result of that, God does great things because he's already head over everything. And so here's what we're going to do. Not going to offer an invitation. We're going to close with the song here in a little bit, but we're going to do the Lord's Supper. And the Lord's Supper is just simply acknowledging God's grace to us. That Jesus died on the cross, that we remember his death, burial, and resurrection. We remember his broken body that was broken for us. We remember his blood that was shed for us so that we could be washed white as snow. And so the question today is just simply this. Where are you at in preparation or in in readiness to serve others? As we take the Lord's Supper, here's the thing. If you're a believer, you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, it's open to you. If you've been baptized, we ask that you partake. If you haven't been baptized, I don't want you to come and see me. We got to schedule a baptism. 
I believe it's one of those things that as a result of my faith and trust in Christ, then I've walked forward in obedience. I've just showed people, hey, I've been, I've been baptized. Baptism is the unifying thing that shows other people I'm, I'm committed to Christ. That that's the, the growth aspect. So, so kids, if you haven't been baptized, you haven't talked to your mom and dad about, about baptism, you haven't, you haven't talked to your mom and dad about who Jesus is, you haven't put your faith and trust in Jesus, don't take. Okay, parents, I want to encourage you the same thing. So kids, go to your parents to take the Lord's Supper. I don't mind if you do it, but we want to take this very seriously when we come to this point, all right? And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to just have you come up here. I'm going to pray in just a second. We're going to have you come up. As I pray, band can go ahead and come on up and, and prepare. Grab two. There are two cups. There's a cup with the bread underneath, and there's the juice on top of it. So when you grab it, you're going to grab out of one slot, one, well, two cups, one slot. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you for unity in the body as a result of you using the gifts and the talents of the people you have called out. But God, may we never emphasize the role of pastors and teachers so much that we neglect what our role is, and that's to prepare God's people for works of service. God, I pray that just in the midst of what goes on, that we would be prepared as an army prepares for battle, as a person prepares to take a test, that God, we would prepare ourselves, that we would look for those who could pour into us, who could speak truth in our lives so that we would be prepared for acts of service. God, today we celebrate your son's death, burial, and resurrection that brought us life and life more abundantly, that the that Jesus' death on the cross was the final payment, the final sacrifice for the sins of the world, of which I have confessed my sins to you. I have repented and asked for your forgiveness, and I have put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And we thank you for the fact that his blood makes us whiter than snow. And so today I pray that we would celebrate in a simple, reverent fashion that we would understand your grace, your mercy, your broken body, and your blood. Because we remember the resurrection that brought us life and life more abundantly. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Here's what we're going to do. As you feel led.